Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another version of Bill Roden on Sports here in Harlem, USA, at Chocolat Restaurant, as you can hear in the background. Yep. Right? <laughs> sure, sure can. Hey, we're keeping it real, as they say. Hey, here with uh, my friend and co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Great to be here. It's been a, it's been a minute. You know, been we've been missing for a, you know, a week. A week. It seems like a week seems like right. Like decades, man, because we actually you. just talked, uh, what, last last Saturday when I was in California, right? Yeah, we're at, the, at the Jets game. At the Jets, what was that? Jets, Ravens. Ravens. Does the Jets still have a team? They do. They do. Yeah. Thanks for that win. Anyway, uh, here we're here um, with a uh, really great great guest, man. Uh, uh, I consider him a uh, a friend. You know, we'll probably be better friends now that he's not in the league. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, as you will find out. Uh, but our guest is uh, Chris Canty, the great Chris Canty. Um, uh, for, how's it feel when somebody says former? The former. Yeah, the former <laughs> defensive lineman, defensive end, yeah. defensive everything for the uh, for a number of people. For the New York Giants, we all know him for the New York Giants. He mm. won he won a Super Bowl ring with the New York Giants, and of course, as we mentioned, when you do that, Parcells once said, "You just repeat over here. When you when you win a ring in New York, people will never forget." That's it. That's never it. forget. They never forget. You know, your legacy is established in the sports history of this town, and, and it's a great thing, especially for a player that uh, is transitioning from playing in the National Football League to talking about guys in the National Football That's League. Right. It makes it easy, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I guess is uh, Chris Canty joining us on Bill Roden on Sports. And, of course, we're here with uh, Kevin Keating doing the sound work and Raisa Kelly, who's uh, shooting, blinding me right now with the, uh, the camera. Uh, and uh, Chris is a, a Kappa, and he brought one of his Kappa brothers here. Uh, of course, I did, you're going to have to tell me your name. I brought the Vice Pole Mark, Michael Hatcher, Vice Pole Walker, New York oh. alumni oh, chapter. Wow. Big Kappa deal. Alpha yeah, Psi, so big I got to give him a shout out. Yeah, right. man, bring, bring the heavy, coming heavy London. <laughs> heavy London, which means you're going to have to use your extensive Kappa Greek network <laughs> to tweet this podcast out. <laughs> anyway, man, Chris, welcome, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for having me. When you invited me on, I was a little bit starstruck. I said, I can't believe the great Bill Roden wants me to come on his podcast. It's unbelievable. Obviously, you know, I've been a fan of Afar for you for many yeah, years, yeah. even going back to when I was in college, some of the books you wrote, some of the columns that you wrote. Uh, so it's just an honor and a privilege to be sitting here right now doing the podcast with you. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I was thinking there's so many things to talk about now, but I was going to start talking about retire because that's what one thing we have in common. <laughs> you retired, and I, my, and I just left the Times uh, in July. Although I, I said I didn't retire, I like just switched arenas. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we're going to talk about that a little later because that is something that I don't know. It, it's something to get adjusted to. Yeah. But before we do that, the news of the day is uh, Cam Newton. You know, Cam Newton, who you know very yeah. well, uh, has sort of made news because he's complaining that he's getting. Not so much that he's getting hit a lot, but that the referees or officials aren't calling it. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, it's, it's really fortuitous that you're here because, you know, defensive linemen and quarterbacks like the Mongoose and the, and the Colts. <laughs> so, I mean, I, just by definition, I'm sure you wouldn't have any 
sympathy with. But, but what's your? How does that strike you? Heard you've heard him talk. You've heard the issues. Um, you talked to Goodell today. But what's what's your take on on all this from a from a defensive lineman now to a commentator? What, what's your well, I actually drew a flag for hitting Cam Newton in a roughing the passer situation when he was in the pocket. Um, but certainly Cam has a point. You know, when he talks about how he's not officiated like the other quarterbacks, you can see it uh, clearly in the regular season opener out in Denver. Um, the Denver Broncos defense put some vicious hits on him. There were questions about whether uh, the medical personnel, the staff that were on hand, should have stopped the game and put him in the concussion protocol just because of how violent some of the hits that he took were. Um, so it's disappointing to see the officials um, constantly missing calls when it comes to protecting the reigning defending MVP, not only when he's outside of the pocket as a runner, but inside of the pocket as a passer. And as a defender, you recognize that even though a quarterback might be out of the pocket, he's still a quarterback. Right. And officials are going to officiate that a little bit closer than they would a running back or a wide receiver. That's just one of the unwritten rules that we have. Um, so when you saw the hit that he took from Calais Campbell from the Arizona Cardinals, which was at the knee or right below the knee, that's clearly an infraction. That's clearly something. That was a Brady that's a, rule. Exactly. Right. That's the Brady rule. And it's, and it's clear and all NFL players understand it. If you hit a quarterback at or below the knee or at or above the neck area, you're going to get flagged for it. So, you know, you're taught as a defensive lineman to cut the quarterback in half. And mm. I know it sounds vicious, but <laughs> that's what <laughs> – Just that's a little. You don't mean <laughs> literally. Well <laughs> – <laughs> Maybe you do, my fault. Right? Well, <laughs> when, it's, when it's Tom Brady, I mean it literally. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm from the yeah, Bronx, so we right. don't like those guys in Boston too much. Right. Right. It's always nice to see his Super Bowl record, see that, that two on the end of it. You know, it's four and two, and to know I had something to do with one of those two losses. So I hear that. it's always a good feeling. But, no, <laughs> as a defender, um, you're taught, you know, where the strike zone is for the quarterback. You understand that. Everybody understands that clearly. And to see that not be officiated properly, I have an issue with it. And Cam it has every right to express that. Uh, and he has every right to go exactly straight to the top to Roger Goodell and speak with him to try to get an understanding and establish um, some parameters in terms of how things are going to be officiated because if they're not going to make those calls. Then you, you got to adjust your game accordingly. So I mean, so so then what's the why? I mean, the, the, the next question then is why? Is it because is it because the officials don't like him? Is it because uh, who is it? Was it Ed Hockley or one one official? I think so. Said something like, "Well, you." You have you have been around long enough yeah, for something. Last year, Cam claimed that. Remember? Yeah, I remember when yeah. he claimed that an official said he hadn't been around long enough to get that call. It's absolutely ridiculous because a hit hurts the same no matter who it is. And you know, everybody talks about Cam Newton's size and kind of the Shaq effect or the LeBron effect, right, as you will. Right, right. Where he's just so much bigger than your standard quarterback, and he's so much bigger than some of the defenders that are trying to tackle him that, you know, put those guys in a bind. But listen, that's a defender problem. As, as, as my mom would sometimes say, that's a you problem. Yeah. That's, not, that's not a Cam Newton problem. Right. Uh, and so the NFL has to be consistent in terms of how they're officiating against Cam uh, because they have to afford him all the, uh, all the protections that all the other players at his position are afforded. There needs to be some kind of consistency in terms of how NFL the NFL – Officials are protecting the quarterbacks. Let me ask you about you know going to the defensive side. Obviously, you were you were defensive uh, end. Mm. Do, is that something that that you read from that end? Do you think that that defenders are taking shots at Cam because maybe they know they won't get called for it? You know, what, what about from the defensive perspective? Well, from the defensive perspective, you're looking at it as the cost of doing business. I mean, you want to hit the quarterback and you want to make him as uncomfortable as possible because 
you know, as the quarterback goes, most, most franchises go, most teams go. So if you're able to affect him in a negative way, you give yourself a better chance of being successful, a better chance of winning that ball game. So you try to do everything that you can do within the rules uh, for the most part, sometimes outside of the rules. Um, and it is what it is. Um, certainly when it comes to Cam, he's a big part of what the Carolina Panthers do, um, not only in their passing game, but in their running game as well. They have a lot of design quarterback runs for Cam. Um, so trying to impact him and affect his game uh, goes a long way in terms of having success against the Carolina Panthers. As you've seen this year, teams are starting to try to rough Cam up, and the Carolina Panthers haven't had an answer for that as a team in terms of how we're going to create offensive production. So, you know, it's unfortunate for Cam, but that seems to be the formula for success against the Carolina Panthers. Well, but remember with Brady, it was the same thing. Remember, in fact, it was – it was. A, it, yeah, I was the, a part of it. The, yeah, the formula uh, was to yeah. rough him up, yeah. right. which you guys did, I yeah. mean, like famously. Yeah. And, I mean, that was like a brutal game. That was the formula with Brady. Well, you try to play within the rules, um, but certainly you don't want to take away from your aggressiveness as a defender. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when quarterbacks are throwing the ball, they're ducking, they're in awkward positions, and – you know, you're taught not to hit him in the helmet, not to have helmet to helmet, but sometimes those things happen. But when it comes to a quarterback, you know, like I said, again, I hate to use this phrase, this cliche, but the cost of doing business. Right. Mm -hmm. But did you notice a difference between when you played a Brady or you played, you know, you played against Cam, you played against other quarterbacks. Did you notice a difference between what the way officials called hits against those different quarterbacks? Well, officials are going to try to protect the marquee, marquee players uh, and a lot of your quarterbacks represent the face of the franchise, uh, some of them the face of the National Football League. So you understand that going into the game. Uh, but officials have always had times, had a hard time uh, when it comes to quarterbacks that are a little bit more mobile uh, just because right. the plays are so bang-bang. Um, but I think that uh, we've transitioned in the last five years or so at getting better at being consistent and officiating those calls. But with certain athletes, you just don't see – the flag as much as you do with some of the more stationary pocket passers. Yeah, I mean that's that's my question. I mean, if 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 uh, if if uh, Cam were white, if Cam were white, and again I know this is speculation, but if he were white, same talent, skill level, you know, I mean, like you know, great, fast, big, you know, the whole. So you're thing. saying if Cam was Andrew Luck, right? If he was Andrew Luck, yeah, would right. would yeah. he would 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 he? Do you think he'd be having the same complaints? Would people be allowed to tee off on him like this? Well, it's hard to speak to that, Bill. I, I, I can't say definitively one way or the other, but I will say uh, it's interesting how we define what a dual threat or a mobile quarterback is because right. everybody points to Cam Newton as a dual threat mobile quarterback. But nobody talks about Andrew Luck being that way. And Andrew Luck ran a faster 40 time at the NFL Combine, and he runs just as much as Cam Newton. Well, maybe not the design quarterback runs, but in terms right. of the scrambles, Absolutely. Uh, and so it's interesting how we label our quarterbacks in the National Football League. Um, you know, it's, it's <laughs> is it disappointing to see that in 2016? Sure it is. But that's the reality of where we are. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I could not see them allowing Andrew Luck or Brady or Rivers or uh, um, uh, Manning, or, you know, to take this kind of punishment. Now, to the point where the quarterback is complaining now, I don't know how much of this, and I, that's what I want to ask you, how much of it is Cam, because some people say, oh, Cam is whining. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd never say he's whining, but how much of that is Cam whining? Try, like in basketball, you'll get on the official yeah. to try to get, a, get the next call. Well, well, I mean, if the NFL is placing an emphasis on player safety, you'd like to see them enforce the rules that they already have on the books. And it was clear, um, it was egregious miss by the official in the Arizona Cardinals-Carolina Panthers matchup. Uh, I mean, Calais Campbell, clear as day, hit him 
in the knee. And that's a penalty when the quarterback is in the pocket. That's how the rule is written. So for me, it, it seems that there needs to be more consistency, uh, more uniformity in how the officials officiate the games. There's no room for error uh, as far as I'm concerned in officiating when it comes to calls of that nature. Right. Um, you know, they hold, the NFL holds the players to a high standard both on and off the field. I'm a little bit confused, and I guess I'm searching for answers as why they're reluctant to hold officials to that same high standard. Yeah, that, see, that, that, that's a hell of a question. I mean, this sort of leads into something we're going to talk about later. But, you know, the officiating, you're right, but officials in all sports are kind of these sacred cows in, in a way. But the thing that's always got to be about officials in the NFL is that they're part-time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If if baseball umpire, if baseball umpires are full time, mm -hmm. NBA is full time. I think, I, th I think the national. Thank you, Kevin. National Hockey I, League. I think national they're, hockey they're is full, full time. time as well. Yep. So I don't get this idea that one of the most successful leagues on earth is the NFL. Why aren't these guys full time? And I guess my question to you is, a not why aren't they full time? But can you tell the difference? I mean, <laughs> it, you know, what I'm saying, can you? Over the years that you've been playing, you played what? How many years in the NFL? You Eleven played, years 11 in the National Football League. Sure. You know, <laughs> can you tell a difference? I mean, can you can you tell? I mean, it's hard, but can you kind of tell a, a difference, or can you? What I'm trying to say. Do you think they would be better if they were full time? Well, I think if you have more time allocated to your craft, you're going to be it better, no matter what it is. The more right. time I spend talking on the radio and talking on television, <laughs> right. I get a lot better at it. So, um, you know, when you have the opportunity for the officials to dedicate more time working with the teams more directly, officiating practices, um, studying film, having the opportunity to communicate with Dean Blandino and his staff at the league office, I think you'll see more consistency with the calls. But the thing that I that I would you know be really interested to see was how that would affect penalties during the course of regular season games. Uh, and, you know, there's always a philosophy if they're full-time, there are going to be more penalties. But I would argue that there would probably be less That's because right. you have the officials at the practices helping the players work on their craft as well, understanding what is going to be called, what's not going to be called, how to structure their game around the framework of the rules. And so you'll see players improve their level of play as well. Wow. You know, so you're looking at it from a sense of, well, it's going to be better for our entertainment product on the field. It's going to be a better experience for our fans. And so it's in the best interest of the National Football League if you really take a step back and look at it. If the officials are spending all of their time throughout right. the course of the year, not just during the regular season, but at the mini camps, at the training camps, at the OTAs, all of those times during the course of the preparation in the offseason, I think you'll see a better product on the field. Yeah, because it's their job. Right, and that's I what mean, happens it, in the NBA. Yeah. Well, and, and, and beyond that, you eliminate potential conflict of interest with another job. You know, if you're an official and your primary job is working at a law firm or you have a small business, well, you know, if the decision has to come between spending more time studying film and being better for Sunday or working at your business or working at your firm, right. you know, what are you going to choose? Right. Because there's no potential recourse for any error when you're officiating on Sunday. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, now that you mentioned I'm just thinking, I mean, what and what's your relationship? You had a law firm, a real estate firm, and you're talking football. I mean, there's so many potential conflict of interest, yep. whether it's office pools, fantasy football, <laughs> right. just casual conversations you're going to have because you know stuff. Exactly. You know, if you're and, and, and you're not – full time so you're spending most of your time in your law firm or your real estate or selling encyclopedias or whatever. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, whatever they do. And bottom line, you're just not gonna be as good as you could be. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not gonna master your craft to that same level. I mean there are NFL 
uh, referees who are college basketball referees. James Steratore. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you see him in the I, Final I, Four. I and that, really? Yeah. yeah. Kind of shit is that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's what we're talking it's about. Like, see, that's, that's shit like the Wild West, man. Motherfucker just be making up rules and shit. You know? yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. You carry away. But <laughs> it's I mean, but it's, it, but it's bizarre, though. I mean, yeah, right. like, like you said, okay, in the NFL game, and then he, wait a minute. You just the final four? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're talking about double dipping, man. <laughs> right. I'm exactly. telling you, man. It's like only in America, man. Yeah. You know, you but know, you know, and, and, and to stay right there, and I want to keep it right there, you know, Roger Goodell. Prides himself on being the law and order commissioner and protecting the integrity of the game. How important is it to protect the integrity of the game to make sure that you get the officiating right? How integral a right. part of the game is the officiating? You owe it to the fans. You owe it to the men, the members of those clubs, the players, the coaches. You owe it to all of them to try to get this right. What, what's this the, should be a priority. What's the reason? Is it money? Is it greed? The NFL is that it, greedy? It can't be money. Exactly. It's an eleven, twelve billion dollar industry. It can't be money. You can you can try to trot that out there as an excuse, but everybody understands that that doesn't hold water. Everybody understands that the NFL is king in terms of sports in America. There's there's plenty of money to be able to get this done. They just have to make the decision that this is a priority. Well, let me ask you a question. Speaking of that, what do you think of the the the, uh, the other news of the ratings? What do you th- everybody everybody's been giving their take on why these ratings are are slipping, but yet. Everybody, I mean, everybody I see is like addicted to the game. But what do you, what do you, what do you make of the rating, the, the so-called slippage of rating? Well, I think it's it's a couple of things. Uh, but in staying where we just were, uh, I think NFL fans recognize the hypocrisy from the National Football League in terms of what's the priority. You say that player safety and player health is a priority. I think fans recognize that it's not. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. You say that putting wow. the very best entertainment product out there on the field is the top priority. I think fans recognize that it's not. Mm. You say that you're putting women's health and domestic violence uh, mm. as a priority in terms of being able to, to be a leader in that field uh, and, and ending the cycle of violence. I think fans recognize that it's not. Mm. Um, it's, more, it's all about you know, PR, um, political correctness, uh, and keeping the wheels on the big NFL machine churning out um, printing dollar bills, and it's all about money. I think fans recognize it, uh, and they're turned off from it. So I think that's a part mm. of it. Uh, plus, Roger Goodell, you know, just in some of the, you know, some of the things that he said publicly regarding various issues, comes off as a very unlikable figure, and that's the guy that's leading the organization. That's the face of the National Football League. Um, so that's a part of it. Uh, and then you start to see the oversaturation right. in terms of the product. You know, before it was just. Sunday and right. Monday night football, exactly. and that was it. Now we've got Thursday night football. Later in the season, uh, when college football goes off, you got you start seeing Saturday football. Right. So I think the NFL used to be must-see TV because it was a special event. You could only get it once a week or twice a week. Um, now you get it potentially four times a week when it comes to November and December. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a lot, uh, and plus the NFL, the calendar year, the way that it's structured – um, it's a year-round thing now, so they've made the draft an event. They've made the combine an event. So the fans are getting NFL all the time, and it's not necessarily the must-see TV or special event that it once used to be. Right. And so I remember fans, families, friends used to gather to watch ball games, and it's, it's just not that way anymore. And I think it's because there are games on all the time during the course of the week. And not, and not good ones. You know, like the Thursday night games have been – Horrible matchups, Sunday night games, Monday night games. They haven't been marquee matchups. One thing I didn't hear you blame 
that I've heard some people blame was uh, Kaepernick and the and, and some of the team protests. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that because no matter the political views of any NFL player, right. I think fans are going to watch the product. Fans have been watching the product. You know, you hear Alex Boone saying some things, um, you know, out speaking out against Kaepernick and his stance. You know, I, I think there are players on both sides of the issue, and I, I'm not going to make that an issue right now. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, you know, the fans just want to see the entertainment. They want the escape. Uh, and so whether Kaepernick kneels for right. the protests or not, they want to see football. Right. Racist people have been watching football forever. Like, <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. I mean, would you, would you kneel? You know, I mean, I know it's tough because you're out of it, but that's a lot of pressure. I mean, I mean, because that's you know, you probably been standing for the national anthem since. It's not a lot of pressure, Bill. Huh? It's no. not a lot of pressure. Your principles mean nothing unless you're willing to stand on them in times of inconvenience. Right. So would you stand? Period. I mean, would you kneel? When I say when I say it's pressure, what I mean is I, that I would absolutely stand with Kaepernick. I don't know if that necessarily reflects kneeling, although I certainly could see myself doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see any giants do it. Well, <laughs> right. I just, in fact, they're standing straight in the league. I had, I had a few words for some of the guys that uh, that came out and spoke against Kaepernick and what he was doing because, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's you know if it's an obligatory response to stand during the national anthem, are you really patriotic? Right. You know, does, or are you scared? Or are you scared? You know, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, I'm, I'm scared. But, yeah, but the, know, the, I mean, players don't want to jeopardize their platform. Right. And they don't want to jeopardize the opportunity to monetize that. And I think that's why you see a lot of guys shy away from it. Right. But like I said, if your principles mean, you know, you know, if you're only willing to stand on them in times of convenience, then that doesn't mean anything. Right. There aren't principles. And it seems right. it seems like the guys making the least money are the guys, you know, most willing to stand. Which you would think it would be the opposite. I mean, if you have, I guess if you have, the more you have, the more you, you don't well, want to lose well, it. Well, right. I, right. Think, exactly. I think Bill exactly. can speak on this. This goes directly to to right. a book that he wrote. Right. So, right. you know, uh, I think it's unfortunate when guys. Um, you know, feel some kind of way about something, but are, are afraid to articulate it for jeopardizing the opportunity right. to make money. That's 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 unfortunate. You shouldn't you shouldn't be a, uh, somebody shouldn't be able to buy your voice, um, so to speak. And it's disappointing to see that's the state of athletes these days. Right. Mm -hmm. And guys guys have felt it. Brandon Marshall uh, from the from the Broncos lost a couple sponsorships, and then Cromarty recently, which was interesting. He 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 knelt. Uh, out in London, next thing you know, he was cut. Yeah, well, he also gave up. I mean, he, I mean, he yeah, gave up some he, touchdowns, he, he too. Has, <laughs> he hasn't been playing well the last couple of years. Just, so, yeah, so I don't know about he, that. He example. got kind of got torched. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm just I saying. I mean, that'd be like if, 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 I mean, the thing is, if you look at it. Probably made it easier. Yeah, mate, well, yeah, I, I, I definitely think there was a correlation between. Right. But the thing in athletics, if you look all the way back to everybody, every black athlete who protested, whether it's Jack Johnson, he didn't protest. He was just did his own thing. Yeah. You know, uh, Carlos Smith. Smith. Yeah. Uh, they all were winners. I mean, they were right, champions. Right, right. I mean, in other words, you know, if, if Ali was like a, a tomato can, you <laughs> yeah. know, and was getting knocked out every week, and then he's saying, I mean, people don't care. Right. Yeah. People care because you were this champion, and what you're saying is that I'm a champion, but that means something to you, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Because I'm a second-class citizen. Yeah. And I think that's right. the point that Colin Kaepernick was right. making, the oppression in black and brown communities in his own way. And, you know, it, you know how he articulated it, people can argue. I would argue that I don't know uh, another way that he could have done it to garner the publicity that he did and brought draw attention yeah. to the issue. So right. what's he going to do? I'm going to hold a press conference at the Boys and Girls Club of America. It'll be three see, people. See how many people right. show up. Right. Exactly. Be three. Right. You know. Exactly. No, I mean, but like you're saying, there's no convenient time for this. No. I guess the question is, 
sort of we, we talked about this before. What's the next level? Okay, you made the point. The follow through. Yeah. It has what's to be about the, the follow through. What's the next level? Like my thing, I think he did a thing the other night or the other week where he had a, a rights camp where mm-hmm. he had all these kids. Camp. My thing was like, okay, I don't know who your apparel company was, if you had an apparel company. I was with Nike. Nike. So, well, Nike's not bad. But a lot of these apparel companies have no black directors. Mm-hmm. They have no black people on their board of directors. They don't do any business with black vendors. Mm-hmm. And if you go through your front office and you go through the front office, instead of going from your front to practice, just walk, take a tour through your front office. Exactly. See, no black folks. I mean, like marketing, advertising. You're like, wait a minute, where are the black folks? Well, they're on the field. You know, right. you know. <laughs> well, I was fortunate enough to be a part of two organizations that had minorities right. in the front office. Um, Jerry Reese, obviously the general manager for the New York Giants, mm-hmm. and then Ozzie Newsom, the general manager yeah. for right. the Baltimore Ravens, um, two, two class organizations. Um, but you're right. You know, the, you know, when you think about the National Football League as a business, uh, you think about the sports industry as a business on the whole, you don't see uh, the demographic reflected in, you know, business positions in those organizations as it is um, with the athletes that are on the field or on the court, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you wonder, you know, it, it's not a situation where we're not qualified because clearly we understand the game. We're playing it. You know, it's just a matter of we're not getting the opportunities. There's limited uh you know, opportunities for upward mobility, you know, and so that's that's the real question. That's that's a bigger part of a societal issue. There are limited opportunities for folks in black and brown communities, and if you're, if you're in denial about that, uh, you, you're playing yourself. Yeah. But it seems like the one advantage that, that, that you guys have in the NFL and the NBA is that at least you have the leverage of numbers. Mm. You know, if, if guys, just like when, remember when NBA, they said, well, maybe we won't, maybe we'll, we won't play a playoff game. You know, it's only leverage if you're willing to exercise it. Exactly. You know, exactly. If, you're, if you're not willing to exercise it, then it doesn't. It's not anything. You know, right. and I think, you know, when it comes to the National Basketball Association, uh, when it comes to the Major League Major League Baseball uh, Players Association, uh, you know, you look at the numbers of players that they have, um, and it's easier to get, you know, you know, 400, 500, 600 guys on the same page than it is to get 1,800 guys on the same page. And I think that's one of the bigger issues in the National Football League. The disparity between the guys that have and the guys that don't is pretty wide gap. You know, you've got most of the guys in the National Football League are thousandaires. They live in a thousandaire lifestyle. (laughs) That's the reality of it. Uh, But you have probably the top 20 to 25% of guys that are multimillionaires. And so you got, you know, a conflict of interest there. You know, you got differing interests. Um, And so when it comes to the collective bargaining table, um, you know, you're arguing for, you know, different populations of guys, it's hard to get everybody on the same page. And ultimately, you know, when you start talking about billionaires versus thousandaires and a few millionaires, mm-hmm. unfortunately they have more leverage uh, and they're not not—they're not afraid to exercise their leverage. Yeah, not yeah. at all, man. Yeah. Got, I, well, I was going to say, I won't say that. Like, Go ahead and say it, please. Well, no, <laughs> please it has it. to do with my daughter in negotiations. Oh. And I don't, but the, the, the general point is that there's a thing that the, the company can never love you as much as you love the company. And just keep that in mind. The company said the company can never love you as much as you love the company. Yep. And you got to always keep that in mind because, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, when it's time to leave a place. And I was thinking, okay, you know, how do I want this narrative to end? Mm. And, and I had to go back to all the time, all the press conferences I had with, with brothers, you know, where they kind of look bewildered. Like mm-hmm. when the axe was dropping, well, I thought, you know, you know, I, I gave, yeah, man, listen, there comes a point in time when it doesn't have anything to do. All it has to do with numbers. You know, and how do you want this narrative to end? Yep. And if you can control it, control the narrative. You yep. know, or, or 
you know, just roll the dice. And I said, I don't want to roll the dice. No, you don't want to roll the dice. <laughs> but, I, but I will say this, and I had a good friend that was uh, working in the Dallas Cowboys front office at the time when I was playing. Uh, he was talking about one of his rules in terms of negotiating, and he said, the person that's willing to walk away is always going to win. Right. And when you look at the 2011 collective bargaining agreement, the owners had negotiated the television contracts in advance of that negotiation for the bargaining agreement. And so they already had in place credits for the upcoming NFL season, regardless of whether we played or not. So they were going right. to continue to get paid right. no matter what. And that really put us in a precarious situation, at, you know, our players association, our union. Uh, and it was tough. And we had to make a tough decision in real time. And I thought that DeMaurice Smith did the best job that he could, um, given that there were some players in the National Football League that weren't prepared um, to miss football games and miss checks. Speaking of, speaking of negotiations, when, you know, recently, last the last year, you look at the NBA and the money that's being, uh, you know, dished out to NBA players as an NFL player, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it. I see Delavid- Rudy Gobert just right. got paid $102 million. Right. And I see Delavidova. <laughs> a lot of people don't know who Rudy Gobert right. is. Yeah, like De- Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Delavidova making the same money as Gronkowski. Hello. So, how do you, you know, what goes through your mind? Well, like I said, again, when you start talking about collective bargaining, the NBA players have a lot more leverage because they're, you know, they're more so on the same plane in terms of their interests. Their interests are more aligned than our interest. And, in, in, you know, certainly when you start talking about uh, the numbers of players, it's, again, it's, it's a numbers game. It's easier to get 450 guys on the same page than it is 1,800, 1,900. Right. You know, that's, it's, it's just that simple. Uh, and then when you start talking about the longevity of an NBA player's career, those guys are around a lot longer. I think the average NBA career is upwards of six years. The average NFL career is barely three. So there's, there's a cycle and there's a turnover rate there where you're negotiating for guys that might not necessarily be around. Right. You know? right. So, it, again, there are a lot of dynamics. There are a lot of moving pieces in that deal. But, um, but ultimately it comes down to it's easier to negotiate and get 450 guys on the same page than it is the number of players that we have in our constituency. I got you. Our guest is the great Chris Canty, former defense, uh, NFL defensive lineman. Stop now. saying former. I don't like that. I don't like being no, a former. No, anything, I don't, listen, man, I'm just trying. It's, stri- it's, stri- it's, I, it's odd to me. I'm 33. Odd to me. Yeah. I like it, look, it looks like he can still cut a QB in half. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, might, I might hurt something in the process. Uh, yeah, so why did you finally decide to leave? My body couldn't hold up. You know, my mind was telling my body to do things, and my body just couldn't respond. Um, last year was the first year that I was ever on injured reserve. I mm. uh, tore my pectoral mm. um, with three games left in the season. I just decided that, you know, 20-plus surgeries was enough. Wow, and, really? I, and it was it was time to walk away. 20-plus. Um, wow. Yeah, you know, I don't want anybody to cry for me, but the reality is I do want to enjoy uh, life after football. I do want to have, you know, you know a, a good portion of health. And so – you have to consider that, you know, I've made, you know, made plenty of money, you know, and uh, certainly I had a plan for my future in terms of what I was going to do. Uh, I made my friends before I need them. So, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, you know, I'm in a good place right now. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's interesting. I mean, when you made the decision to leave, I mean, was it, was it like one day you just woke up and said it's over? I mean, I can't do this anymore. They, sometimes they, I see they, they said uh, when somebody retired, well, you really retired two years ago. Uh, you know, but, but I mean, what happened? Well, I, wish, I wish the Ravens would have got the memo because they made me start <laughs> every single year when I was down there in Baltimore. You know, usually guys will have a year or two to steal checks. Not <laughs> me. I started all 11 years in the National Football League, uh-huh. man, and my body feels all 11 every day when I wake up. Really? 
Yeah. Any particular shoulders, knees, what? Any oh, it just depends. On, it just Jesus. depends. It just depends on yeah. which day what wants to act up. They take they take turns. Wow. They're equal opportunity terrorists on my body. What, what's, the, what's that NFL grind like? Like they, you know, sixteen weeks. I mean, what is what is that like? That's what I, I think about the most. Like, what do you got? Like, can you describe that? It's like getting in a car crash over and over and over <laughs> again for three hours, once a week. And then you try to prepare your body and you try to get ready by practicing to get ready for the next Sunday. And before, when I came in the National Football League, I was a young guy, I was 22 years old. It would be nothing to go out there and play a game. And then, you know, I was ready to go the next day. I, mm -hmm. I felt superhuman. That's how it is. But as you continue to progress in your pr career, it takes your body longer to recover. Recovery went from Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday. And then last year, I mean, it was a situation where I wasn't recovered until the morning of the next game. Oh, wow. And, you know, it, take, it, take, it took a full week, you know, and even then you had to take a tortoise shot or two um, just to go out there and be able to play and do the things that your job requires you to do because football is a, is a very physical game. It's a violent game. Um, it's, a, it's, it's really – it really requires somebody to take on the mentality to enjoy imposing your will on another man. You know, that's what we call fun. Um, <laughs> And so when you think about it in that lens, you know, it's, it's a very tough sport. And, and, and that's why people say football is a young man's game right. um, because, you know, they, they don't have any mercy on you when you're getting older and your body starts breaking down. They don't <laughs> care. Those guys are out there trying to feed their family. They want financial security just like you want. And they're, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get it, which is, you know, physically putting a hurting on you. And that's the, that's the nature of it. Do, do you, I mean, but, but yet people love it. I mean, what is it about that? that you loved and still loved. I mean, because an objective person, you know, they like the ratings and, oh, you know, there, there's no place for this in civilized society, quote, unquote, to the extent this is civilized. I mean, we're blowing up right, villages right, right. and, right. you know, so. But what is it about the sport that you love, the guy, I mean, what what is it? I think it, 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 it goes to the inherent instincts that we had as cavemen and this is my territory and, again, imposing your will on another person, you know, and that's, um, that's what really spoke to it to me, the, the ability to be aggressive, to be violent, and not get in trouble for it. I mean, I, enjoy, <laughs> right. I enjoyed it. As a kid. I enjoyed it. Right? You, yeah. It starts as a, as a young it kid. It starts as a young man. You Exactly. So you should understand. But no, I kept fouling out in basketball games. I said, man, this is, this is not the sport for me, although I'm looking at these contracts now, right, and I'm, right. I'm thinking I could have made a better decision. Right. But, uh, you know, it all worked out. But, um, no, I, I think that's, that's what it was about for me, I think. You know, guys do it for different reasons. Guys have their reason, and I'm not saying everybody looks at it the way I do, um, but that's just the way that I saw it, and that's why I enjoyed it. That's why it was fun for me. Mm -hmm. Our guest is Chris Canty, uh, defensive line. Forget former. Super Bowl champ. Super Bowl champ. There you go. Let's just stick with yeah, Super Bowl champ. He was there a Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants. There you go. <laughs> he played uh, drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. I want to ask you about Zach Prescott, by the way, when we come back. I like, I, well, well, I like Zach Prescott. Um and uh, but what do you uh, give me right now? You're doing a lot of media stuff. Yeah, I work for ESPN New York uh, primarily as an on-air talent uh, on the Han and Humpty show from noon to three. ESPN Radio 98.7. Mm -hmm. uh, also do some work with the NFL Network Good Morning Football platform. Uh, also do some work on Sports Illustrated digital content wow. SI Now. Uh, also work in the media departments for the Baltimore Ravens and for the New York Giants with the Ravens doing their pregame show. Uh, which is taped every Thursday from Owens Mills, the Under Armour Performance Center. Uh, and then I also do the Giants post-game show uh, from the stadium or from Quest Diagnostics. So 
I'm a busy dude. <laughs> no, no, no I, I, I don't feel retired because I feel like I'm working more than I did when I was playing. Well, that's the, that's the trick about quote-unquote retirement. <laughs> like the thing you do, I realize that the, the one thing you do takes up so much space. And when you remove it, all this other stuff that had been on the periphery rushes in to take the place of that thing that you yeah. pull out. All these other things you think have put on the periphery. So, no, man. But you know the great thing about it, Bill, is the opportunity to have some structure. Right. To have something constructive. You know, athletes are creatures of habit. Um, you, you, we're addict, you know, we have our schedule and it's set and that's what we do every single day. And so being able to establish a schedule where I'm doing something that I love to do, that's constructive and keeps me around the game that I love, it's truly a blessing, man. I'm thankful for it. Right. We will be back. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about officials, but we're going to talk about some other stuff. We're going to talk about Cam. we talk about officials. We're going to figure out something else to talk about. When we come back, we'll be back in a couple seconds. Bill Roden on sports. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bill Roden on Sports here in Harlem, USA, with uh, my co-host, Jamal Murphy, and with uh, the great Chris Canty, media member. <laughs> <laughs> As my boy Terrell Suggs would say, I'm a suit now. That's right. uh-huh. I'm a suit. Now, how does that feel? Now, you are always very good with, with, with the media, I must say. You are always very good with the media. Yeah. So how does it feel being in the media? There are a lot of, there are a lot of your colleagues, man, who are jerks. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what gets me. They were jerks. Now all of a sudden, they're, they're like guffing it off and gawhawing in the media. I said, "Man, give me a damn break!" <laughs> but what, what's what's the uh, transition been like uh, for you to have been on on the other side of the mic and now be on the the questioning side of the mic? It's been really busy. Um, you know, you hear a lot of players talk about how they miss the locker room, they miss the game. But I've been fortunate enough to be in roles where I can still be around the locker room, and because I'm doing so much in and around the sport. Uh, I really don't have a chance to miss playing. Um, uh, I mean, there'll be a part of you that I always miss running out of that tunnel. Don't get me wrong. Um, but just having to be a part of it in this capacity is pretty special. Um, the opportunity to be able to talk about it, talk about guys that I played with, um, to be able to analyze the game, break it down in an entertaining fashion for the fans. Um, it's just a blessing. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's something that's really special. It's something that I work really hard um, to get in this position to be able to do. Uh, it's a very competitive industry, as you know, as you both know. Uh, and so you have to do things to separate yourself, and a part of that is being able to hustle and, and apply the work ethic that you learned um, being a part of the National Football League to your second career. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's the whole thing. That's the goal. Did you do this? In, uh, when you went to the University of Virginia, did you study media, communication? Not, not at all, not even a little bit. Uh, I was a history major at the University of Virginia, African-American studies. Um, you know, uh, that was my concentration. I uh, got my degree from the College of Arts and Sciences. My mom told me um, after getting consecutive C minuses in Econ 201 and 202, she said, son, you better find something else to major in. I don't, know, I don't know if Econ is going to cut it for you. Yeah. Uh, so she said, pick something that you were interested in. And I've always been interested in, in history, and I've always been interested in African-American diaspora. So that's why I chose uh, AAS as my concentration, and that's what I got my degree in in 2004. All right. Let me ask you, you, you mentioned before we were talking um, – we're talking about, we touched on domestic violence in the NFL, and you were actually at ground zero. You were with the Ravens, uh, your second year of the Ravens, when the whole Ray Rice thing uh, blew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was it like? There? I mean, because to me it was always like a case of the NFL or Penn State 
these great institutions protect the shield first. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Goodell did not look at that tape as if he were watching his sister or his mother or his daughter getting beat. He was watching it as the commissioner trying to protect the shield. But what was it like when you were in when you were at the Ravens? Because you you had known Ray Rice the year before, right? Yeah. Well, team. I've been knowing Ray for a long time. He's from New, New Rochelle, White Plains area. Um, so he's a New York guy. You know, the Bronx is right there. So I've been knowing Ray for a while now. Um, we used to work the, uh, the McCourty Twins camp uh, out at St. Joe's uh, some years back. And so, um, you know, Ray had his worst moment in life caught on videotape, you know, and I'm not going to condemn, uh, condemn a person. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't condone domestic violence. I, and I think it's deplorable. Uh, and that's what I came out and said when I was interviewed about it at the time. Um, but certainly this thing was mishandled by the Ravens organization. It was mishandled by the National Football League. Um, you know, you talked about Roger Goodell not looking at the tape as if it was a family member of his. I, you know, he didn't look at the tape at all. And as the head of a $12 billion organization, that's just unacceptable. Um, there is no plausible deniability. You need to try to do whatever you can uh, with that, whatever's in your power to find that tape because you knew that it existed. Right. It happened at a casino hotel in Atlantic City where there are cameras everywhere. So you knew that the tape existed. You got to do everything within your power to get it. And if you don't, if you don't have all of the information, you've got to make a penalty. You've got to impose a penalty, um, you know, that, that, is, that is viewed upon as being as harsh as possible. You can always come back and reduce the penalty if it wasn't as egregious as some might have thought it could have been. Mm -hmm. But once they saw that the first video outside of the elevator, what took place, you know, you kind of can make certain inferences in terms of right. what her, happened inside of the yeah. elevator. He was dragging her out, for those yeah. that don't remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and, so, and he's done more. I mean, he's yeah. In, in effect, he's done, and, and and certainly the Ravens did him a disservice. You know, the league suspended him for two games. I felt like in the t at the time, the Ravens should have suspended him for more games. You know, potentially four more games. Um, that's the standard for any uh, substances of abuse penalty or performance-enhancing drug penalty. So right. they could have imposed a similar type of penalty because they didn't know the line and which which violence occurred in that situation. They didn't know exactly what happened. Um, but, you know, they didn't. And in that situation, they had to impose a penalty or punishment retroactively and, in effect, cost Ray Rice his career, which is very sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we've had other, you know, uh, you were in, in Dallas. Who's the guy? Uh, Hardy? Greg Hardy. Hardy. Yeah. You know, but I, I guess my question, though, is, is this something peculiar, do you think, to, to, to the NFL? I mean, I know, you know, police departments. I mean, there are these domestic violence Issues that are yeah, just we just had one happen in the tri-state area with Jerus Familia, the closer for the New York Mets. This took place, uh, you know, yesterday. And so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, sports is a microcosm of society. Um, so if you have, um, you know, a small segment of professional athletes that are abusive toward their spouses, um, you're going to have that, that same segment of people in, you know, the general population in, in the society that are going to do that, that have been doing that. Um, it's just because of the platform um, that it's, it's created this perception that um, a, a, a high percentage of athletes, a great number of athletes, are abusive toward women, and that's mm -hmm. just not the case. You know, 90, 90 to 95% of players in the National Football League, players in professional sports, are doing the right thing, uh, but you never hear about it. it does, mm -hmm. That doesn't make the headlines. It's that other 5% of the guys that aren't doing the right things or get caught doing something. Um, you know, making a poor choice in the moment. That, that's what grabs the headlines and that's what we focus on. And it's really unfortunate because, again, you cast this ominous cloud over the rest of the players. Um, that's really unfair and it's not right. And the league mishandling it 
allows that perception to be perpetuated by the media and by the headlines. What's the best way to handle it? I mean, in, in your in your in your view, what's the, what's the best way for a league or a team? You know, the Giants had the. Well, we can talk with, about what Major League Baseball has done. You know, you look at Araldis Chapman, the gentleman that's the closer for the Chicago Cubs. That's that's probably going to be pitching at some point tonight right. uh, in Game Seven of the World Series. The MLB came out and suspended him for 30 games. Came out, suspended him for 30 games. Regardless of the investigations, findings, anything that took place, they suspended him for 30 games. That was looked upon as a harsh penalty, and we haven't heard anything about it since because everybody said that, okay, the Major League Baseball penalized him. He served his time. He's allowed to come back. And we love comeback stories. You know, all the society, we love to hear comeback stories as long as somebody served their time with the punishment. Right. Jose and Reyes. Jose Reyes, another one. I think he had an 82-game suspension. Right. A little more lengthy. But, again, a similar circumstance, served his time, was allowed to come back. And I think that National Football League, you know, has to, in effect, enforce the policies that they're saying that they're, they're going to have. They marched out this personal conduct policy right. in the wake of Ray Rice in 2014 that said – there was going to be a minimum of six games suspension for any you know, findings of potential domestic violence. But clearly we haven't seen them enforce that. You look at what happened with the Giants kicker Josh Brown this season. Right. You know, he only served a one-game suspension. Well, this is 2016. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, right. You've had this policy in place for over a year and a half. Why is he only serving a one-game suspension when you have, as in your personal conduct policy, that players are supposed to serve a minimum of six right. games. And you're right. It, it comes back to hurt the player. When they when when Goodell doesn't handle it right away and they don't handle it the correct way, we, we'll probably never see Josh Brown again yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. Whereas if you would have handled it correctly, if you he could have got his life If you would have the policy, you would give him an opportunity at some point to continue his career. But you didn't. So why did you march that 2014 personal conduct policy amendment out in the first place? You did that for PR. So now we come back to the public recognizing that, and we come back to the rating slippage. Mm-hmm. You see, everybody's connecting this. Right. People are putting it together. You know, you know, sports fans are very in tune with what's going on. They're very educated nowadays because they have so much access through digital platforms, through television, through radio. Uh, and, and so they know what's happening, and they see through what's happening with the National Football League. They see the hypocrisy, and I think there's a certain segment of fans that are turned off by it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but even so, when we were talking about the World Series, and I'm like, oh, good, it's one-to-one. Uh, here we go. Come on, come on, Tribe. Come on, Tribe. I picked them to win on air, so I want to be right. I know. Well, you know, good thing about this is by the time – well, this is going to come up tomorrow. Tomorrow, well, so people will know. Um, but, you know, I'm like looking at Chapman. You know, and I guess, again, you know, you know, if you have a daughter or something like that, my whole thing would be, man, again, you looking at this tape, and you just imagine from it, like – Either Chapman hits your daughter or your wife. My thing is, man, this cat should never play again. Mm-hmm. He's never going to play in my league. He'll never play on my team again. If mm-hmm. I'm looking at it as my wife, my daughter, my mother, and if I'm in any position of power, you're done. As far as I'm concerned, you're mm-hmm. not going to play in my league. Now, some people say, well, that's too harsh. Well, how do you think she felt? <laughs> you know, not funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. Can Araldis Chapman still throw 105 miles per hour? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He's good for business, right? He's right. And, and winning is the business right. of major league sports. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. No winning is the it. business. So if he's good for business, then we're more apt to forgive him after they've served their time. Right. Right. And that's you know, the reality of it. The right. better you are, the more, should you get away. The more chances you'll get. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at like, Ezekiel. Now, now it's, I mean, that. 
you know, we're, it's a great story. And by the way, it's Z Dak Prescott. And Dak. earlier said, I said Zach. Uh, that's right. short for Dakota, right? Dakota Prescott, I think. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, short for Dakota. Oh, wow, wow. Dak. Dak. Yeah, Dakota. Dak. Yeah, sense. great story. That's a great story. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is, you know, having a great season. But, you know, they, they mentioned, again, well, you know, he's still got this pending case of domestic violence at Ohio State. Now, it is Ohio State. I mean, it, and I, I mean, but it is it, it happened like last year. But therein, it's it, it happened, mm -hmm. and you can't. But I think you're right. We do this thing. Well, it's a great year. It's a great story. You know, kind of like maybe gloss it over. And I'm like, well, no, not so fast. I mean, if it really happened, and it we're gonna, I don't know, I don't know how do you deal with that though. It happened at, at Ohio State, right? And I don't know, maybe the, the Cowboys didn't do their due diligence. Or, or maybe oh, I'm sure well, they, they did. Well, the yeah. NFL, well, the NFL. Uh, I do believe they imposed a sentence on Terrell Plyer as he was coming into the league right. for some infractions right. that he made at Ohio State. So I think the league has had some precedence in terms of being right. able to do that. But I think it's still an ongoing investigation with Ezekiel Elliott, and there's just not enough information to, to, to establish what they need to do if the, if the accusations have any merit to them. So I think they're right. still trying. They're still in fact-finding mode with that. Um, but, yeah. but, you know, and, and so that will play itself out. But when you start talking about the player now, I mean, he's a special, special player. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, he was—he's on course to break Eric Dickerson's rookie rushing he's record, amazing. which he's is out. which is which is a record that I always thought would stand. I mean, and he's out there hurling, guys. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, on I a regular mean, basis. Now, when, exactly. When, when is that going to start? The stop, rather. Because <laughs> you know, because you know, you guys are—you make adjustments. Yeah. So he's okay. This guy likes to hurdle, huh? Yeah. So maybe we'll let hurdle him in the middle of well, next week. Well, I tell, you, I tell you what. I tell you what. He's got a pretty good offensive line that's right. opening yeah. holes for him. Right. Uh, and those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. You got Tyron Smith. You got Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, Travis Frederick, Doug Free. Those guys. Um, you know, they're the best offensive line in football, and they they have a lot to do with the success of Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott. Um, you know, you talk about. You want the game to slow down for rookie quarterbacks and rookie players in general, but specifically quarterbacks. That offensive line buys time for Dak Prescott. Mm. And so it's made his learning curve just a little bit easier. And I'm not going to say it's made it easy because it's always tough on a rookie quarterback. And you saw that last night against the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the Monday night game. Right. Uh, Jim Schwartz threw a lot of different things at him, a lot of different looks, some things he didn't see. Uh, had the interception in the red zone that Jordan Hicks didn't even see him. Right. Mm. But again – those are things that he's going to learn from and continue to improve. The thing that I'm most impressed with is when the moment is the biggest and the most is at stake, right. he always seems to respond. Right. And the team around him responds. The guys are playing with the confidence and belief in him that you just haven't seen for, from a Dallas Cowboys quarterback in some time. Yeah, it's so bizarre, though. And I've got friends I mean, who are like these zealot guys. The, the mere fact that they'd even hint that, well, you know, Tony's ready, I mean – that that's good for Tony. Be, uh, you know, that's my former <laughs> teammate. That's good for Tony. Right. That means he'll be healthy for his next team, wherever that is next season. Or if that gets hurt. Play. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going Jamal, I'm not even going to speak that. No, I hear you. I'm not All even right. going to speak that. You. The young I man fall. has I a apologize. bright future. Uh, he's going to – eventually I think he has the potential to be one of the faces of the franchise. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the faces of the National Football League. Excuse me. And so, um, you know, he's, he just continues to improve. He continues to get better. Uh, he can beat you a lot of different ways. Um, but just the confidence and, right. and, and him being able to excel in situational football in the moment, right. the skill set, reminds me a lot of the late Steve McNair mm. when you really look at his right. game. Very, very impressive by this young man, what he's been able to do in his rookie campaign. So, so as far as Dallas is concerned, and we're talking about this year, he's a rookie this year, 
Uh, what's the ceiling for Dallas with a rookie quarterback? Right. I think you're looking at the NFC favorite to represent the Super Bowl. Wow. I mean, and it comes back to that offensive line. This team has an identity of how they have to play in order to win. They understand the formula for success, uh, being able to control time of possession, keeping that defense off the field. You know, their defense has some holes. They have some deficiencies. And every NFL team has warts because you're in a salary cap era. You just can't pay everybody. But one of the ways that they protect their defense is by not letting them be on the field. And that's when that's when Ezekiel Elliott and that running game comes into play. That's when converting on third downs come into play. That they're one of the best teams in the league on third downs. They sustain drives. They get first downs. First downs lead to touchdowns. They've done a good job of protecting the football by and large. And so I think this team is equipped the way they're built right now to be playing meaningful football in December and going into January. What about in the AFC? <laughs> what well, is this Tom guy? Brady, this we'll guy get, number we'll twelve in New England, man. He's He's tough to beat. You know, he's got a chip on his shoulder coming back from that deflate gate suspension, and, and he's playing otherworldly right now. On a per-game basis, he's playing better than his record-setting 2007 season, mm. 330 yards a game. He's got 12 touchdowns through four games, mm. over 1,300 yards, over 70% completion percentage. He's just playing lights out right now. They got those two and, tight ends like he had. And, and, that, and that's the thing, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. The skill position, the core, core skill positions on the offensive side of the ball are better than when they played in that AFC championship game a year ago. Right. And what did we notice when the Denver Broncos were able to get the best of Tom Brady? The Denver Broncos were able to rush both edges and put pressure on Tom Brady. They had the two open edges. They couldn't protect their offensive tackles. They couldn't protect – they didn't have a running game to speak of. But now you look at this New England Patriots team. They've got balance on offense. They're a top ten rushing group. They're top five in rushing attempts. So they understand where they went wrong from last season, and they're built and they're equipped to counteract those premier defenses in the AFC when you look at the Denver Broncos. Yeah, and, they, and, they cheat. and that's really all. <laughs> and that's really all. I mean, there's not much in the AFC. Denver, I'm still, I'd am still, i still be scared of that defense. But the then Oakland besides Raiders, that, the Oakland, Oakland Raiders that's what I was going to say. Yeah, Oakland, yeah, I like, I like you know, and the Kansas City Chiefs are there too. You know, I don't, I don't want to be dismissive of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know Alex Smith is not playing this week. Right. They're going to go with Nick Foles because of the concussions. But they don't really depend on elite quarterback play to be successful anyway. They depend on an opportunistic defense, Marcus Peters, Eric Berry in that secondary creating turnovers, Derek Johnson, who's the ageist wonder. I still don't know how he's <laughs> running around like that at this age. Um, Don Terry Pro up front, um, establishing the attitude, establishing the line of scrimmage form on the defensive side of the ball. And then Andy, Ray, Andy Reid is a masterful game manager. They create short fields right. through defense, through special teams. Right. Um, and they just understand how to win. They have a formula, too, and they have an identity. They know what they have to do to win. And tough and that's, to play. And that's, yes. and that's what it takes when you play football in December and January, when you play playoff football. You got to know who you are. Bill Parcells used to always say, the worst thing you can do in this business is fool yourself. <laughs> but, the <laughs> right. but the teams that are at the top, right. the teams that are consistently in the playoffs, they have a style of football that they like to play. They have an identity, and that's right. what separates them from the rest of the pack. That's a life lesson. I know, I know. Do you still keep in touch with Parcells? You know, I haven't talked to him in years. Um, you know, I, I do talk to people that do that are in communication with him. Um, but certainly a Hall of Fame coach. Um, I learned a lot of what I know about the game of football from him and Al Groh and Tom Coughlin. Obviously, I'm, I'm in the family, having played for all three of them mm. at various stages <laughs> in my career. So I'm, I'm in the Parcells family. I'm a Parcells guy. Um, but, but, you know, the way he taught the game of football to me, the principles are sound. Um, and it's going to be that way as long as they're playing football. Now, 
before we let you, well, we're not going to let you go. We're going to all leave at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the question I make, because I, I still want to get to this thing before we leave, because we were talking about so many things here. But the big theme now is the place of football in contemporary society, American society. And does it exist? And why will it continue to exist? And do you think that football will always be? I mean, I mean, football is either in your blood or not. I remember growing up in Chicago, you know, as a kid, whenever it was snow, you know, I look at the snow and we call guys out and go play football. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a mentality. It's something you think. So do you, given what you know, if you found, do you have children? I don't have any children. So. I got a lot of children in my foundation that I work with, so I guess those are my kids. Those are your kids now. (laughs) But if you have, I mean, would you, would you, would you allow your son to play football? And do you think that football will always be? Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, and and so certainly, if they wanted to compete and play football, uh, I would support that decision. Um, You know, I wouldn't. You know, I'd have to say there are concerns. You know, when you start talking about uh, the development of. Um, you know, the brain trauma sciences, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, it's, a, it's a scary thing when you start hearing about one in four players will develop that after their, their playing career. Um, you know, so you have to consider all the factors. You have to weigh health um, and general well-being against it. But um, just the game itself, it's a great game. Um, and there are a lot of lessons that I learned through football that transcend football. You know, leadership skills, communication skills, discipline, hard work. Um, and so those are some of the things that I try to teach uh, in my youth football camps and in my foundation with the kids when I work with them on the sports platform. Uh, you know, so football is, is the ultimate team game. You're not going to have success unless the 11 guys on the field are seeing the things the same way. And I think that will always have a place uh, in American society. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. And finally, at, at, you're a member of the media now. Do you find it hard to criticize your former you know, former colleagues? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I just don't go personal, Bill. Jamal, I try not to make it personal. I try to criticize the performance, not the person. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're playing out there and you're playing soft, I'm going to call it SOF, capital T, soft. Right. And I'm sure you did it soft. while you were on the team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that probably led to a few altercations <laughs> in the locker room, but – you know, you got to do what you got to do because right. it's ultimately about winning, and we're right. judged on wins and losses. So if there's somebody not holding their weight, you know, you try to you try to you lift them up, but at a certain point, you got to hold them accountable. Right. Mm. And that's just that's just the nature of the game. But that's why it's important to have strong leadership on on your team too, and in your locker room. Right. Um, one of the issues that the New York franchises are having, they don't have strong leadership right now. They don't have a culture. Um, that, that emphasizes winning above all mm-hmm. in those locker rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I think you're seeing the level of mediocrity that, that those two, two teams are displaying, which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate. So give me a quick rundown of the Giants' uh, prospects, and we'll go to the Jets after that. Well, the, the, the problem that I have with the New York Giants is the offensive line. Uh, they, they're dead last in the National Football League in rushing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at some point you're going to have to be able to run the football to be able to have success. Um, they can't protect Eli Manning. That's why he's getting the ball out so quickly out of his hands. Uh, you know, it's at, you know, two seconds, 2.3 seconds, he's getting rid of the ball, whether he's throwing it to a receiver or throwing it in the dirt. He just doesn't <laughs> want to get hit. Right. You know, he's seeing these defensive linemen in his face, and you just can't have your quarterback operating under those circumstances. As number 10 goes is as that franchise goes. Right. And they've got to they've got to take care of Eli Manning if they want to have any level of success. Defensively, I thought the defensive line would come along a little bit quicker than they have. 
I knew it was going to be a work in progress because they had a lot of new movie pieces. Olivier Vernon now coming over from Miami with a huge contract, five years, $85 million. Snacks Harrison coming over from the Jets to be, you know, that defensive tackle, that strong presence on the interior. JPP back now. Right. Uh, you you kind of knew it was going to take some time to develop. Uh, but I thought they would have a little more than seven sacks through seven games. Um, so you really need that pass rush to pick up because those guys are going to make the guys on the back end a little bit better. Uh, when quarterbacks don't have enough time to throw, uh, it makes those defensive backs that much better. So, um, you know, I'm looking for that group to kind of carry the weight for the Giants' defense. Um, but, again, it comes, comes down to the fundamentals of football. Your offense and defensive line have to be good in order to be successful. Those two groups for the New York Giants need to come along. Eagles this week, Sunday. Eagles, Giants, what do you see for that? <sighs> you know, <laughs> I see Eli Manning trying to get the ball out on time very quickly. You know, when you look at Vinnie Curry, Brandon Graham, Connor Barwin, Fletcher Cox, that's a very impressive Eagles defensive front. You know Jim Schwartz loves to get after the quarterback. He loves to bring pressure in the middle of that offensive line, which is going to force Eli Manning off the spot to those edge rush guys. And the Giants aren't very good at the tackle positions. Eric Flowers has struggled. Uh, Bobby Hart has struggled. Uh, Marshall Newhouse has struggled when he's in the game. Uh, you know, so it's a matchup that doesn't necessarily bode well for the Giants. I think they've got to do some creative things from a personnel perspective, from a formation perspective, to try to hide some of those deficiencies along the offensive line. Give Eli Manning just a little bit more time. Because I tell you, those guys on the edge, Victor Cruz, Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, they can make it happen. But Eli's got to have the time to be able to work the West Coast passing offense concepts. And when he doesn't have that time, they're a different group. They're not as effective. Should we waste any time on the Jets at all? That's what I was going to say. I, I, mean, I was going to let you slide. The Jets are on a fire sale. They were trying to trade Brandon Marshall. They were trying to trade Sheldon Richardson. Right. I mean, they're, they're you know, and, and rightfully so, Mike McCagden, uh, Todd Bowles, they understand where they're at as a team. They, they need to start looking to the future, being able to evaluate the young talent on that roster. Um, you know, I, I think they've got the right coach and GM combination uh, in the building. They just got to give them time to establish a winning culture. They went for the win-now mentality when those guys first took over, bought a bunch of high-priced free agents. Right. Uh, but those guys were veteran players on the back ends of their career, and I think we're starting to see it now. When you look at Darrell Revis, uh, you looked at Antonio Cromartie, a player that they signed. Um, you know, Buster Screen, who you could argue is playing out of position now, more of a nickel corner, not, a, not an outside corner. Uh, and so I think you're starting to see that now. You know, those guys can't keep up the level of play that, you know, they were expected to. Uh, and so the team has got to rebuild this situation. It's going to take some time, but you got the right people in the building to do the job. Okay. And your, and your foundation, the Chris Canty Foundation. Yeah. Um, just using, utilizing the platform of sports to affect positive change in, in, in kids' lives and ultimately change communities. That's our, that's our long-term goal. Uh, we've got two partner schools in the South Bronx, PS49, PS43, excuse me, um, in the Mott Haven section of the Bronx and PS69 in the Soundview section of the Bronx. We also have the Murray Hill Academy in, in Lower Manhattan. Mm. Um, so really excited about the work that we're doing now. Uh, we're working on some infrastructure projects with PS43 right now. We're looking to roll out in the spring. Uh, couldn't be more thrilled about that. That's going to be something that's going to be there for the next 20 to 30 years. Mm. So really excited to make a long-lasting impact on the school and on that community. Wow. See, I think we have a star in the making here, man. In the making? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. I mean, no, I mean in terms of the whole broadcast, the yeah, whole yeah. thing, man. I think, like, 
five years from now, but he won't even come to this show. We won't, we won't, we won't get him to get him. Come man. on, Bill. We better than that, Bill. <laughs> Bill, we better than that. We better than that. No, I mean, you're very impressive, man. I mean, really, really. Well, that means a lot coming yeah, from you. really know yeah, your I, stuff, man. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan, so that means a lot. No, thank you very much. But no, and I've always been a huge fan because they gave me great interviews. Yeah. But yeah. but but I was a really good guy. Again, make your friends before you meet them tomorrow. There you go. There you go. <laughs> got, no, but I always got to remember the few, the few interviews we had. You know, you get some some guys and like get it, and are very perceptive. You know, others are kind of like they're just in the moment. Yeah. But you always got it, man. You always got it. But you always very intelligent. You had a very intelligent approach to this this whole business, this whole yeah. industry. So I, you know. Well, so. here's, here's one thing that I I would try to tell the the young guys in the locker room as they're preparing and they're going about their business as a pro in NFL. It's always going to end before you think it does. Mm. And so you've got to be ready for the next thing. And you've got to prepare as if it'll end tomorrow in terms of your finances, making sure you take care of that, making sure you're empowered um, financially to make the decisions that are in the best interest of your future, just not the best interest of here and now. Mm. Our guest is So been, I'm done preaching. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, no, man, shoot, this is, we come back. Right. You know, we, people, uh, people need to hear that. They, they really do. But you need to absorb it, you know, and, and not just in sports. I'm just because, you know, just I mean, this is another segment, but the idea of money. You know, I, I would never kill guys because if you don't understand money, it could be like fire. It could do, it could really, it could divide. Especially in the hands of young 20-somethings with huge platforms and, you know, a lot of free time. And everything is yes, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but you got to come back, man, because there's a lot, more, a lot more stuff to talk about, really. It's, uh, you know, we didn't even talk about you growing up in the Bronx. Because that's what, that, you know. We didn't even get into that. Yeah, no. where you grew up in the Bronx. I mean, we, we. They moved to Charlotte. Right? They, moved yep. to Charlotte. they moved to Charlotte. I mean, the journey, you know, and again, we both, you know, both you and I, um, you know, we have these youth foundations. Mm-hmm. And it's always fascinating when you, when you, you know, when you get that first group of kids who come back, you know, and sometimes it's the kids you never even thought would come back and tell you stuff you said or the least likely kid who you thought was never listening or whatever comes back and has really just achieved stuff. But it's always just the miracle of, possibility that yep. you just never know who it is that's going to like blossom you mm-hmm. know and so the journey i'm always fascinated by the journey yeah by how you got because i mean every time we say we're about to go we usually <laughs> add about another hour but, <laughs> but 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 the thing that i enjoy like if you would come to speak to my kids or i speak to your kids I, I remember in the past two or three years i've changed my thinking because we always cite these statistics mm-hmm. that you know, how many kids, you know, in our gym, you're like, when you, the last week, how many kids want to play professional athletics? And everybody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. Then we tell them, well, you know, out of, out of you know, 20 million or 2.5 million kids, only X number will make the pros. But then I think, well, well wait a minute. Somebody got to make it. <laughs> you know, somebody got to, to, yeah. got to make So how come yeah. it can't be you? Yeah. So the question becomes, okay, now how do I get to be that one in a million? Yeah, that's to me. That's the whole. How do I get to be the person who plays for the Giants, who goes to the University of Virginia, who goes from the Bronx to right, here, right. or who goes from Southside Chicago right. to the New York Times right. to here? Here, how do I get to be that one? And there is a formula. I mean, yeah. it's, I can't guarantee you're going to be, let's say, with the Giants, but there is a formula. There's a general formula for success. There is. And 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 you can you you a perfect example. There is a formula. What would be, and I know I'm putting this, but what would be if you had to invent three basic credos to 
this formula success, what would they be? What would the three things? What would the three things be? Well, one of the things that I always start with is education. No matter what you do, you have to be educated. And you have to be able to uh, think on your feet. You know, you have to be versatile in that respect. Um, I tell kids all the time: uh, the more education you have, the more opportunities you have. Um, if you want to choose what you want to do rather than be told what to do, get your education. That's number one. Uh, the second one would be be on time. Uh, be on time. It's, it's a simple thing, uh, but being on time is 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 75% of everything. Just right. you make sure that you show up, you're where you right. you're where you need to be, you're present and you're ready to, ready to do whatever the task is. Whether that's lifting weights, whether that's study hall, you know, whether it's community service, whether it's work, no matter what it is, be on time. Mm. Be present. Uh, and then the last thing I would probably say your work ethic. You know, making sure that you attack it um, and give it give it truly give it your best. You know, I never believed in saying 110%. I didn't know how you could get past 100%. Right. That, 100, never right. Right. that never made sense to me. That never made sense to me. Because you had the education. But give it everything that you can. Yeah. That way you don't have any regrets when you move on from it. Right. If it doesn't work out, you can live with yourself like that. Right. But if you didn't try, if you didn't give it your best effort, right. you'll always have those regrets. What is it? The pain of discipline weighs ounces. Mm. The pain of regret mm. weighs tons. Mm. And, you know, and it's interesting that, I think you used to, people used to think that well after you get something, you got it like with a self confidence whatever. And I found that it's a it's a daily right. thing. It's an ongoing yeah. process. It's an ongoing process of self confidence and yeah. and whether it's giving. Well, confidence comes from demonstrated performance. Right. Mm -hmm. So the more that you do it, the more that you're around it, whatever it is that you want to do, right. the more confidence that you'll have to be able to do it at a high level. Right. right. That's the work ethic. That's the work ethic right. part of it. Right. And it all ties. You know, it all it all all the stuff ties together. And just mm -hmm. listening. That's one thing that Kenny Anderson said, mm -hmm. that he listened. Mm -hmm. Well. Kenny, you did listen. You know. <laughs> well, he, listened, he, li when he, he did listen. Yeah, he listened when he was doing well. Right. That's yeah, what he, yeah. you know. Anyway, listen, this is part one. We're going to come back with part two. Looking forward life, to it. Life lessons about, because <laughs> right. that's really what this whole, whole thing we, is we about. We got a lot more to get into. Yeah, with man. That. Life, yeah. How do you just, particularly a young African-American kid, you know, in this particular country, how do you make it? How do you and, survive and, and, and then how do you thrive? How do you thrive? Right. Not just making it, but how do you thrive? And that's a big yep. thing. So, listen, man, this has been great. Chris County, man, thank you so much. This has really been illuminating. You know, great guy, great future in this business, man. You really, you're, you're really a, a kind of an analytic guy, too, man. I was like, him break down the rosters and all this. Mm -hmm. Damn, man, you know, this mm -hmm. is like very, you know, as uh, Nikki Giovanni, he's one of the technical brothers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Tomorrow's always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if I would have pledged, if I would have pledged, I would have probably pledged Kappa. If I would have pledged, but like as I went to HBCU, like, like man, the Vice Paul Mark said, it's never too late. Never too late. <laughs> never too late. Yeah. Well, I'm in the well, I'm in the boule. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother. <laughs> but anyway, hey, listen, man. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for Great having me. Great brother. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. You know, and we'll be collaborating tomorrow. Wonderful. All right. Appreciate it, man. Kevin, we'll judge you after we hear this. You know, <laughs> same thing with you, Rice. Although I must say, and Jamal, give me a spiel about what to watch because I've I've been watching. We may only have whatever listeners, but the stuff looks really good. The photos look good. The video looks good. The stuff really looks oh, good. Li li listeners, we're good picking up. Um, but you can you can find us definitely at, follow us on Twitter at BrosPod, at on Instagram. You know you'll get some of the footage of, of the shows at BrosPod. Uh, like us on the Facebook page, Bill Roden on Sports. Follow Bill Roden, W C Roden. 
on Twitter. Follow me at Blackatologist. And what's what's your Twitter? At Chris Candy ninety nine. There you go. So Twitter, what, Instagram, Facebook. A lot going on. A lot going on. Then you know, then Jamal, of course, now just uh, you starting to write for CBS. Uh, yeah, CBS, CBS local. Local. Yeah, I had an article about different types of protests. Uh, the NFL going on the yeah. the team protest versus. First, the individual protest. He said, he said yeah. the team protest doesn't work. <laughs> you know, the guys kind of like yeah. hug each other. I was like, yeah. what the hell is that? I was like, man? let's wait for better times to hug yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. you celebrate. But anyway, that's, that's, that's a, another that's story. That's another, that's another. <laughs> All right, thanks. I like so that much. take, man. That yeah, no, was a great take. Yeah. It doesn't work. You know, they, we, you know, be hugging each other, cool. That, that ain't why they call it protest. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Whatever, a whole bunch of stadium people could look at it, ah, yes, that ain't protest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Protest is supposed to agitate. That's like when you hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to the Seahawks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want to get Russell on the show at some point. Hey, man, thank you so much. God bless. We'll see you uh, next week on Bill Roden. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.